let's talk some crypto and what else is going on in this marketplace. Scott Freeman is the co-founder and partner at JST Capital. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Oliver. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Scott, you come from a traditional finance background. Your company, JST Capital, bills itself as digital expertise for institutional investors. So tell us, where are they? It seemed they were getting so excited at the start of the year, the balance sheet additions and all that stuff, Scott, and now it's kind of gone silent. What do you hear? Yeah, I, was, I would agree with that on some level. There was a lot of energy in the market in the first quarter of the year, it cooled off in the second quarter a bit. But honestly, there's still a lot of energy in this space, especially if you get away from Bitcoin and some of the the top coins were really focused a lot on DeFi and how that infrastructure is building out. And a lot of our clients, so we get pinged every day, big questions are on DeFi and where to put money to work in this space. So there's still a lot of capital going into these markets and we still think there are a lot of great opportunities. Is there a big difference between the DeFi investor right now and the Bitcoin investor either at the start of the year or a year ago or just kind of in Bitcoin's history before this big explosion of uh, DeFi is the focal point of the crypto world? Yeah, I would say people who got into crypto early are more comfortable now with DeFi. They kind of start working down the value chain or up the value chain. So people, you know, if you're just getting into crypto, you don't start with DeFi. You start with Bitcoin, ETH and Lumens and things like that. As you get more comfortable with understanding the different protocols and different value propositions, then people start looking more in the value chain. We, we also have seen with DeFi that it's attracting different investors. So you're getting VC investors coming in, you're getting credit investors coming in. So people who are used to traditional financial analysis and, and traditional financial investing are now finding similar opportunities in the DeFi space where those people wouldn't would never look at Bitcoin. So you really have two different paradigms. One is People who were in crypto to begin with now are looking at different value propositions. You have other people who are more traditional investors who would never look at Bitcoin or ETH. We're now saying, wait a minute, these assets look like traditional financial assets and they could apply traditional financial metrics and models to these assets and are getting comfortable with it. Scott, uh, just for those uh, that uh, maybe haven't been following along, we're talking decentralized finance. We talk a lot of Bitcoin here, but uh, lately, you know, shifting gears a little bit. Kevin O'Leary was on here talking about his interest in the DeFi world. Uh, he's a yield guy. He likes income. That's what I kind of pointed out to him. Anyone who's ever watched the show Shark Tank knows he's an investor who loves steady income. Is that a defining characteristic among any new investors that are interested in uh, decentralized finance as opposed to Bitcoin? Do they view it as more like a bond than a stock? Is it less speculative in nature? In some respects, absolutely. You mentioned Kevin O'Leary, Mark Cuban also had a great, um, great announcement or Twitter announcement a few weeks back where he was talking the praises of DeFi investment and the yield opportunities. And that's why you're seeing credit investors and interest, in, interest rate investors who are looking at these assets saying, wait a minute, these are yield, yield, yielding assets no different than traditional financial assets. And we think it's just, you know, it's just the first inning or it's not even the first inning. Like there's so much money, there's so many opportunities to put to work in this space. Um, it's just a very interesting space for people who understand the technology and understand the financials. What is, uh, it's maybe a hard question to answer. Maybe it's like a percent of uh, DeFi projects, but how many are right now in an economically productive capacity generating uh, something fundamental? Because from what it seems like, a lot of the stuff I look into is still fairly circular and based on the price of the underlying token going up, they can then pay people back at yields, right? Aren't those yields basically the farming that's happening, a function of this assumption that the past trend of higher prices will keep going? 
Yes, there is a, a preponderance of that where you make an investment and get paid back in the native coin of the protocol where you're investing. And we don't put a lot of stock in those things, honestly. Because okay. as you point out, a lot of those are circular. A lot of those are premised on the fact that you're just getting paid in the native token. And a lot of fast money goes into that and then comes out of it once those incentives go away. But there are things like Centrifuge, which you like a lot, things like Solana and ETH and Curve, where we think they're great opportunities, where there are fundamental economics behind those things. And ETH, for example, is just a building block, right? So you can look at ETH as just a building block of a lot of the protocols that get built out there. But folks like Centrifuge, we think are really doing a nice job and they're literally allowing people to issue yielding assets on their protocol, right? It's no different than buying a, a, an asset-backed uh, security. Scott, it seems like uh, this kind of incremental step towards some real productivity, some real utility is, is very exciting. Um, and we focus on Bitcoin a lot because of its just early role and its still dominant role. But we've also noticed uh, that since the sell-off here, since the highs, Bitcoin has had uncharacteristically poor performance compared to the bounce back scene in some of the altcoins. Have you thought about, I mean, I'm sure you have, but what does a hypothetical uh, period look like if Bitcoin loses its place as number one, or maybe it's still number one, but there's enough coins chasing behind it to where the altcoin market cap gets very big. I mean, what happens as the Bitcoin dominance wanes and if it does further? What does that look like? I mean, is that gonna be a violent event at first? You know, we don't think so, and our clients don't think so. I think, you know, Bitcoin more and more people view as a store of value. And in some levels, you can separate that from every other coin. And you'll start seeing correlations break down. We've seen that a little bit already with the bounce back. So we do expect that, listen, this is a volatile asset class. It will continue to be a volatile asset class. Um, but we do think correlations start breaking down more and more between Bitcoin and other assets. You're already seeing that among the payment coins. You'll start seeing that, seeing that among the DeFi coins. Um, we still think there's value across the board. We still think that a lot of this is still in its infancy. Um, you know, I don't, you know, you never expect a 50% move down or 100% move up. Could we see that? Possibly. Um, we think a good range for Bitcoin is anywhere between 25,000 and 50,000. It's a huge range, right? But, um, you know, volatility, we think, will, will be muted in Bitcoin terms for the foreseeable future. Uh, maybe for the summer, people are taking a bit of a rest. Um, but we do think that there's just a lot of opportunity in this space. And we think the correlations will continue to break down over time. Scott, uh, real quick before I let you go, uh, do you have a view, a house view on Bitcoin prices? There a likelihood that we break 30. What kind of odds do you give that right now that we test that lower level again? I, you know, I think there are good good odds that'll get closer to 25 and good odds it'll get closer to 50. We started January with that assumption when Bitcoin was in the 20s, I think. And uh, we were surprised that it went over 50 and then surprised it came back down to 30. So it's a volatile asset. Liquidity is very thin right now. Um, exchanges are, are, are not trading as much as they used to, um, which exacerbates moves in the market. So we kind of think 25,000 and 50,000 are two natural levels in the market and our clients tend to agree with that. Um, but these things are very, very hard to predict.